Welcome to the Raising Kids Together podcast. Raising Kids Together is a place where moms of all ages and stages come together from all over the world to walk this journey of mothering with one another. This podcast is just a small glimpse into the things that we are talking about in our daily Zoom meetings. I am your host, Tina Smith, and each week you can listen in as I and others share God's word and grow in our spiritual parenting. I am praying that you are blessed as you listen in. Father, thank you. Thank you so very much for this time we have in your word. I thank you, God, that um, in no way have you left us unprepared to live the Christian life, whether it is today, tomorrow, or um, 50 years down the road, you have prepared us. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so, Father, this morning, I just pray that we would have hearts that would be willing to hear, um, ears that are open, and Lord, feet that are willing to be obedient to whatever you ask us to do. Father, we claim the promise of this marvelous book of Revelation, that those who hear and heed will be blessed. And so, God, we just ask you to um, to help us to hear and heed. Lord, I pray for each woman that's represented here, each home that's represented Lord, I just ask you to be marvelous in each home. I pray that your name would be lifted up and that your glory would fill each and every home and heart. Lord, thank you for this time. We worship you, we exalt you, and we praise your name. And it's in your name, the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Okay, so today we are going to be taking several trips in Scripture. I hope you have something to take notes on, and um, also your Bible ready to, to do a little bit of road tripping in Scripture. So what I want us to start out with is looking at the term tribulation. Um, the Greek word for tribulation um, is, and I'm not, I won't, I'll spell it, I won't say it, it's T-H-L-I-P, as in Papa, S-I-S, and that it means to crush, to press, or to squeeze. Tribulation, the Greek word means to crush, press, or to squeeze. It's also used to describe grievous physical affliction or mental or, and spiritual distress. So this is not just a simple word that's used to um, describe when we lose service on our iPhone or our Android. This is serious affliction. And so this word is used in two very distinct ways in the New Testament. One is just a general tribulation or just a hard time. The other is a reference to an unprecedented event. And that's the one we want to study today. That's the one we're interested in. So I want us to, to look in scripture and see where we find this type of event mentioned. So let's start out in the book that we're studying. Go to Revelation chapter 2. And this is the first mention 
of the word or the concept of tribulation. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 22. Now, you'll remember, if you've been with us the whole time, we started out studying in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the churches, the seven churches of the Revelation. And so this um, mention of the word tribulation comes when we're studying the church at Thyatira, which we, um, we looked at and saw that it was a very corrupt church. So Revelation 2.22 says, um, speaking of the Jezebel woman within the church who is leading people astray, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So that's the first mention of the word tribulation in Revelation. Now, go to Revelation chapter 7. And in this chapter, we looked at the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. We also looked at the multitudes that come out of the great tribulation. Um, and so Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14 says, And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of what? The great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So what is one thing that we can immediately learn from this verse? Well, it is that during the great tribulation, and we're going to talk a little bit later on about when that might fall within the seven years, there are clearly some believers that are present, right? So that may or may not dash your hopes about when the rapture might come. Um, and so we'll talk about that down the road as well. Okay, so where else in the book of Revelation, I mean in the Bible, in Scripture, is the term tribulation used? Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. We have um, visited Matthew chapter 24 before. We will continue to visit um, chapters 24 and 25 because these are key chapters where Jesus himself talked about the end of time. So you can't study Revelation. You really can't even study the book of Daniel without visiting Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And there are corresponding chapters in the book of Mark that we will also look at. So in Matthew chapter 24, let's look at verses 3 through 12. Matthew 24, verse 3. Um, Jesus is being asked by his disciples, What's the end going to look like? When is it coming? Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Verse four, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and what? Earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So do you remember as we looked at the seals? And the first part of the trumpets, how many earthquakes we saw? 
So there Jesus is referencing what's probably going to be happen and happening in at least the first half of the tribulation. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So I hope as we read those verses, you're beginning to be able to make a link back to what we've already studied in the earlier chapters in Revelation. Progress. I'm hoping it's starting to, to maybe fall into place for you. All right, now let's stay in Matthew chapter 24, and I want us to go to verse 15. Same um, scenario, Jesus is still talking to his disciples, and he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, we're going to come back and we're going to study abomination of desolation at the end of our time together. But when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as, as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. So these verses seem to suggest that the last three and a half years of the seven-year period of tribulation are associated with greater tribulation. Um, and if you really look as we study on, what is described here closely resembles what's going to take place as, um, as a result of the bowl judgments that we're going to start studying in Revelation chapter 16. All right, so I want you to see the importance of letting scripture teach scripture. You see, if we hadn't come to Matthew 24, we wouldn't have been able to perhaps deduce the difference in different parts of the seven years of tribulation. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so now let's look on in Matthew 24 at verse 29. Again, Jesus is still talking to the disciples, and he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So Jesus had a lot to say about the coming tribulation. A lot to say. All right, so now let's take a look at um, what Mark has to tell us about tribulation and see if there's anything that Mark adds to the conversation. So go to Mark chapter 13, and we're going to start out, um, we'll start out with verse 14. And you're going to hear very similar wording to what we just read in Matthew 24. Mark 13 
verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it not, ought not to be. Now in Matthew, it said standing in the temple. Mark said standing where it ought not to be. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter. For in those days there will be what? Tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. Now, jump to verses 24 and 25. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So Matthew and Mark clearly were sitting at the feet of Jesus when he was teaching about the coming end. And they wrote basically the same thing. So this is um, a lot of what um, the New Testament has to tell us about uh, tribulation. Now, uh, clearly there's going to be an unprecedented time of trouble and trial, such as we have never seen. And I want us to look now and see if there's any reference to this in the Old Testament. And we know there is because we've been in Daniel. But I want us to take a closer look at this. So go to Daniel chapter 7. All right. Um, so Daniel has um, a lot of figurative language, a lot of vision, much that it's hard to understand, um, the, some of the wording that he uses. But um, at some point, hopefully, we can study the book of Daniel and we can try to clear all of that up. For now, um, you study on your own. I'm going to, to basically just tell you what, what I believe from my study and from my reading of commentators, some of the, the odd things mean. So in Daniel's chapter 7, um, verses 23 through 27, um, Daniel has had a vision, and um, it was a disturbing vision, and then he was given um, the interpretation of the vision. And so in verse 23, it says, Thus he said, a fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise from them. Now, do you remember last week? I think we talked about the little horn, the Antichrist. So this another shall arise from them is a reference to Antichrist. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints will be given into his hand for what? Here's a time reference. Time references are super important for a time, 
times and half a time. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. So <clears throat> this is a reference to the Great Tribulation, the three and a half years that seem to fall at the end. Okay, um, so now look at Daniel chapter 12. And let's see what we find. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 says, At that time, Michael shall stand up. Michael is one of the archangels. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. It seems in scripture that Michael is the angel over the nation of Israel. From all we can gather, he seems to be assigned specifically to the nation of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble. There is the word. It doesn't say tribulation. It says trouble. But that's the word. Um, such as nev never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. So again, another reference to tribulation. Now, there's a very significant passage that we need to look at in Daniel chapter 9. So flip back a few pages that references Antichrist and his actions in the last days. Um, some of the time references, as I said earlier in this passage, are going to be confusing. And so just hang in with me. Um, I'll tell you again what I believe they, are, they refer to. Um, and, and you can go study that for yourself. So Daniel had in chapter 8 a vision of a ram and a goat. All of that is recorded in chapter 8. It's all per very pertinent to um, the end time. But it was also pertinent to a time that would come in the next few hundred years after Daniel lived. Or possibly even as he was living. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9. And I want to start at verse 23. So he has had this vision. He's in prayer, uh, praying, confessing the sins of his people, his, his sin and the sin of his people. And um, back in verse 20, it says, Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people Israel, um, he had a vision of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. And so verse 23 says, At the beginning, this is Gabriel talking to Daniel. At the beginning of your supplications, or at the beginning of your prayers, Daniel, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Y'all, that is such a significant verse. Think about what that's saying. Daniel is deeply in prayer, confessing the sin of his, himself and his people. And at the beginning of his prayer, God says, go comfort my servant, Daniel. God hears our prayers from the moment we speak them. From the first time we utter them, God hears us. And the command is given long before we ever know. The command is given from the throne room of heaven. Help my daughter, Vanessa. Touch my daughter, Heidi. 
bless my daughter Jamie. The command goes out long, long before we ever know it. So the command has gone out for you are greatly beloved. I want to stop right there. I want everybody to say, I am greatly beloved. I am greatly beloved. Do you believe that? Scripture says it's true. You are greatly beloved. God doesn't just hear Daniel's prayers or Tina's prayers. He hears your prayer. You are greatly beloved. Okay, so consider the matter and understand the vision. Verse 24, here comes these weird time references. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So Daniel is Jewish, so his people would be Israel. The holy city is Jerusalem. It's always the holy city. Seventy weeks are determined. What in the world is that all about? Well, we can be very certain that it is not 70 actual weeks. Um, what we can be pretty certain about is that this is, and here it comes, weeks of years. All right, so that's weird. That's just very weird. So, 70 weeks of years, you can multiply 70 by 7, which one week is 7 days, and you get 490 years. So we can read this as 490 years are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All right, so if we look on at verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. What's that talking about? If we look back at Nehemiah chapter 2, and we won't go there, but in Nehemiah chapter 2, King Artaxerxes or King Ahasuerus gave the command for Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the walls. And then Ezra would have been tasked with rebuilding the temple. So from that command... Nehemiah chapter 2, there until the Messiah, the Prince, until Jesus, there would have been seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that would have been 69 weeks times seven would have been 483 years. The street will be built again and the wall, even in troubling times. Did I not tell you this is confusing? This is super, super confusing. Um, so in verse 26, we see after the 62 weeks, 
Messiah will be cut off. Okay, so we know exactly what that is. That's the crucifixion. So after 62 of those weeks, Messiah is cut off. Jesus was crucified. And the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is Antichrist. But it was also Antiochus IV Epiphanes. This is one of those passages where dual referencing comes into play, near-far prophecy. Daniel was being shown something that was going to happen in the fairly near, but also in the far away. So in the fairly near, in the next few years or a few hundred years, and then far away at the end of time. Again, we would have to study the whole book of Daniel for all this to make perfect sense. Um, so Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So that happened in 70 AD. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed. That was the last temple that was in Jerusalem. Remember me showing you pictures from my trip to, to Israel of the stones that are left from that temple. The western wall or the wailing wall that's there now is all that's left from that temple. So that happened in 70 AD. So the city was destroyed and the sanctuary was destroyed. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, then he, he is Antichrist. All of a sudden, this vision jumps to Antichrist. So then he shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week. For one week, which appears to be seven years, Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel. It's going to look like Antichrist has cozied up to Israel. The temple's going to be rebuilt. Sacrifices are going to be started again. Everything's going to look all copacetic for the nation of Israel. Because Antichrist will confirm a covenant with the many for one week. So the covenant will be for seven years. But in the middle of the week, what would the middle of seven years be? Three and a half years. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be the one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So in the middle of the seven years, Antichrist breaks the covenant with Israel. Sacrifices are stopped, and there's an, a desolation that happens. Now, remember back earlier, we read where a, something is standing in the temple that desolate, causes it to be desolate. That's what this is referring to. It happened when Antiochus IV Epiphanes um, destroyed Jerusalem 
hundreds of years ago. It's going to happen again when Antichrist comes. So this is all very, very confusing. Um, but we can't study Revelation and study about the tribulation without understanding that it is not just an isolated incident. It has been talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. So now I want us to go back. Yes, what a great deception. Absolutely. It's going to be the ultimate deception when Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel. So now let's go back to Revelation chapter 13, which is where we were supposed to be anyway. Um, Revelation chapter 13, and be reminded of Antichrist. What did we learn about Antichrist there? Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. He was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for how long? 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name. What else is he going to blaspheme? The tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. So do you recall me saying that it seems like things start to really ramp up at the sounding of the seventh trumpet? Are you seeing that? Antichrist is loosed at this point. There has been a covenant with Israel. He breaks the covenant. Sacrifices are stopped. There's a desolation of the te temple and now we will go forward and study the great tribulation, the bowl judgments. Okay, so I want us to finish today with considering the term abomination of desolation. Because we've seen it twice now in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament. So is it referred to in the New Testament? Well, the passage that gives us the clearest information is in 2 Thessalonians. So go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've read this passage before, but I want us to go back there. Um, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Now, this term does not use the term, I mean, this passage does not use the term abomination of desolation, but it clearly references. So let's let's read it. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now do you remember when um, I told you, may have been last week, that is that there were people that were saying the end of time has come it's come it's already here we're living in it back in that day so paul's clearing it up he's saying nope not yet there are some things that have to happen before that's going to happen so let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless so that day references the coming of christ 
um, the second coming of Christ. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. There's the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he, and here it is, abomination of desolation, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's the abomination of desolation. Antichrist will position himself in the Jewish temple, the third temple, as God. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. All right, now let me give you a little teaser. What is it talking about when it says, when Paul says, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed. He is the Antichrist. Something is holding back Antichrist from being revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is the he? Any ideas? The he of verse 7. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. All right. So this could be what everybody's been waiting for. So where does the Holy Spirit reside today? In us as believers. So... If the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way in order for Antichrist, <laughs> look at Vanessa, I love it, she got it, she got it. Okay, so what has happened very likely at the beginning of the seventh trumpet? The rapture. The rapture may just have happened. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The law coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so we learned about the abomination of desolation and the rapture, all in one fell swoop. So let's go back and look really quickly, though, at what has to happen in order for the abomination of desolation and the day of Christ to, to come. So a falling away or the great apostasy has to happen. Now, 
these verses um, are tell, saying that there has to be a great apostasy. What does that big word mean? It means that it, that people will leave the faith. They will fall away from the faith. And um, are people falling away from the faith today? Yeah, every day. So have people fallen away from the faith in the past? Yeah, every day. So one commentator said this language that's used right here indicates a specific event, um, not just general apostasy, which exists now and always will. Rather, Paul has in mind the apostasy. And uh, this commentator believes that this is an event which is clearly and specifically identifiable and unique. Um, it is the consummate act of rebellion, an event of final magnitude. So the key to identifying this falling away is in identifying the main person that it's associated with, which would be Antichrist, right? So the man of sin, the lawless one, the little horn, he's called by a lot of different names. But this apostasy or this great leaving of the faith of Christ and following Antichrist seems to, it must happen before the day of the Lord. And what did we study about, was it last week, that there is a time coming where everybody's going to have to choose a side. Remember, right hand or forehead could very well be the great apostasy. You've got to choose a side, okay? So, the abomination of desolation clearly takes place in the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, is there a temple in Jerusalem right now? No. There is no temple in Jerusalem right now. So, it absolutely has to be built before the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And now we've learned that for seven years, there's going to be a treaty, a covenant between Antichrist and Israel. And for the first three and a half years, everything's going to be peachy keen. Could that be when the temple is built? Don't know. Maybe. All right, so that's it for this week. Next week, we will study Revelation chapters 14 and 15. Um, there are some significant things that happen in those chapters, but we're going we're gonna to go through them fairly quickly um, because we want to get on to the bold judgments. I'm so thankful that you joined us for this week's episode of the Raising Kids Together podcast. I hope you've been blessed by listening in on our Zoom room. We would love for you to join us. You can come when you can and come as you are. Simply go to RaisingKidsOnYourKnees.org and click the button on the front page to enter the Raising Kids Together Zoom room. We meet Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Have a great day.